welcome to These Lads on Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalize mental health. These Lads are Mental recognizes the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. On today's episode, we have the amazing Hugo Turvey. He is an army captain, a two-time cancer survivor, and a mental health advocate. Hugo also is making some big impacts in the mental health world and the health world through his business, 25 Stay Alive. But before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. We know that your story isn't quite like most people's. So before we get into that, we normally ask guests straight off the bat what their opinion is on their own mental health story. And let's say if we look at yourself before maybe you hit your 20s when things started to happen. Um, can you tell us like what your take was on mental health? Did you experience it up to that date? Yeah, it's a good question. And to be honest, I didn't at the time before my health events, which we'll probably touch on. I didn't know really the ins and outs of mental health or I couldn't um, differentiate, say, mental illness to mental health. And I never really understood it. And that was partly because fortunately, I never really had a, a family history of it, which I, I'm grateful for. But also, I, know, I never really understood myself on if I was probably experiencing poor mental health. I never really um, dig deep enough to, to understand why that was. And it's not until what I've gone through now, what I know now, and when I've, I even I'm, at the moment, I'm chatting to my psychologist in our sessions about some childhood trauma that I never even explored. I find it fascinating because I, I look back at all this trauma that I went through as a child with my health and stuff that wasn't normal as a kid that I just kind of thought it was normal for me. And um, it's not until now unpacking it with him and understanding more about myself, about what mental health looks like, where I go, yep, I definitely had some signs and, and symptoms of mental illness, even as a kid, but I never spoke about it because I had no reason to talk about it and I wasn't educated in, in knowing about it. So I think it's a great question and something I'm actually exploring now with my, my psychologist, interestingly enough. It's interesting you mentioned childhood trauma. I think that's probably, I don't know if it's just because of the last several guests we've had, but that's something that's come up quite a lot, isn't it, Sally, in terms of childhood trauma? Yeah, and, you know, we've with Batir, the charity that we've had on already, they say most, though I think 75% of mental health conditions manifest before you hit the age of 18. And when, we're, when you're a child, as you were saying, you probably don't know in the moment what's really going on. I can certainly speak to that as well. We are kind of, you get these feelings, you don't know what they are, but you kind of just carry on. And then it's only in later life that that trauma kind of tends to arise. And then what's even worse is if you've, if you've had trauma as a child, it can kind of come after you, so to speak, when you're an adult. And then you can be put into a scenario, which actually happened to me about four years ago. And it was like zapping me back to like an eight-year-old child again. And if you don't resolve it, it just lingers there, you know? So credit to you for tackling that. I think trauma is one of those things that we, as, as a human race, don't give it enough gravitas because you do need to 
resolve it you did need to kind of unfortunately face it on sometimes and let it come true um which i know is not easy right yeah absolutely and it's it's yeah it's, it's interesting because i think a lot of people probably have some sort of trauma um and it's not just you know people listening to it thinking the big stuff about you know whether it be physical trauma or things like that you know some some mental trauma as a kid that can be at the time you think insignificant but looking back on it can be triggers for other parts of of your adult life I don't think people probably explore that enough um but yeah I'm actually in a weird way in a very weird way enjoying exploring it with my psychologist purely because I'm I'm unpacking things that I've never um never really thought about before. So I think in, in a way for me, I feel like I'm learning a lot and things are making more sense to go. Maybe that's why I think certain ways it could have, it could have stemmed from, you know, those incidences are, or that experiences is in my childhood. So in, in a weird type of way, I'm enjoying going through that process because I know that hopefully there'll be good that comes from that as well. So yeah. in terms of obviously you're, you're obviously a huge health advocate, but obviously mental health and, and then, which is amazing. That's one of the things that caught um, caught my attention when I was looking through and I, I first contacted you, but then I read into your story. So I actually was more more aware of what you're doing in the health space before I actually got into your story, which is which is really good. Um, so it'd be great if you just shared your story, mate, because your, your story is pretty incredible, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, thanks. And look, I'm um, it, it's interesting because I'm an absolute mental health advocate and obviously same with you guys. I've experienced that you know, over the years and I'm really passionate in that space, but it kind of, that's not how my story started really. And it wasn't until after my sort of eight year journey with, with cancer battles that um, it really started to, to manifest with my mental health and my mental illness. And it's something where I think men in general or society in general, we can be very good at looking after our physical health. So something like cancer, and I can go in, in, in a second with the detail about what that looked like but when you've got cancer you do everything you can to treat that cancer it's just that's what everyone does you, you go to your specialists you you know for me I had my chemotherapies and you know dozens of different surgeries and hospital stays and different specialists and you've got this doctor that's purely, purely specializes in you know bowel related stuff and you've got your urologist which is more you know my testicular cancer side of things so that that exists and there's, you know, medicines, I was on steroids, I was on immunotherapy, radiation, like all this stuff exists. But then amongst all of that, 95% all physical stuff, I hardly did anything at all for my mental health. I never really got asked the question how I was actually going with my mental health. I never said, would you like to go and get referred to a mental health therapist or a psychologist to, to talk about it, which makes sense at the time, because I'm going through a hugely challenging, traumatic time in my life yet no one really spoke to me about that so it just seemed so strange that there was so much emphasis on looking after my my physical health and getting me better and cancer free but nothing to do with my mental health and I think over the course of the next eight years I just got so good at so negating pushing it under the carpet you know not talking about my feelings not you know managing my mental health and it got to a stage where it did get really bad um, and we often talk about you know prevention can make things so much easier. Um, so yeah, I think looking back at that, my journey definitely started with the cancer side and it wasn't until later on where I thought, you know, that the mental health side of things is, is so important um, in ways potentially more important than what I went through. Uh, and some of those, the best way I explain it to people, some of those darker days I had and 
you know, it sounds like Neil, you know, you have experienced those and, and Gary through your work, but some of those darker days I had um, were almost like more painful or, you know, more confronting or, you know, whatever you want to call it than when I was really crook, you know, losing 20, 30 kilos on my bloody deathbed in hospital with pain relief. Some of those darker days, my mental health, um, yeah, it was almost more challenging and painful than the physical stuff. And I think when you kind of explain it that way, people who have never experienced mental illness, severe depression, anxiety, kind of hear that and go, holy shit, <laughs> I can kind of uh, get an understanding for it. So yeah, that's kind of over the years since I was 21 with my first experience of cancer, fast forwarding now, last week I turned 30. It's really been a bit of an eight, nine year journey. Um, and I say journey because it has been ups and downs with two different bouts of cancer, testicular cancer, bowel cancer, ongoing challenges, with my mental health, um, you know, being in remission, getting cancer again, you know, relapsing and all this type of stuff. So it really has been a, a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, but I'm here today, turned 30 last week and, and I'm, I'm cancer free, which is fantastic. So you know, I've, come, I've, come, I've come a long way. Great. Amazing, man. That's Bill. Obviously, cancer survivor, mate, even one time is unbelievable, mate. Two times is phenomenal. So, delighted for you, mate, but that's pretty strong. You talk about mental health, but, mate, you must have a pretty strong mindset to get through that, mate. So, credit to you. Hmm. Yeah, we, we've spoken about that before, Hugo, that the, like the mental health pathway is just not there right now. You know, as you were saying, if you have cancer or you have a physical injury, it's almost ingrained in us what needs to be done to make us better. Whereas when you think about mental health, it's like kind of a zigzag pattern. Like no one really, there's no clear linear thing that you just know as a human, I need to do this. So I think in that sense, that's why it's important to have things like Movember podcasts, all this kind of stuff until we get to that place where we do have that structure. Um, but thinking of your story over the last eight or nine years, like, can you tell us about how did it all start? Like, did you just, did you find something one day where you're feeling dead, like unwell? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So going right back. So I'm, um, I'm in the army. I've been in the army for the last, uh, last 11 years. I'm still full-time in the army, which is great. I'm currently a captain and going right back to when I joined the army straight from school, um, just a young kid, you know, young kid straight from school thrown to the deep end, um, naive, you know, I've never really had any experience of, of cancer or mental illness or anything like that in my family. So I was just a naive young bloke. Um, anyway, so I had about six months to go before I graduated. So it's about four years of training all up for officer training. I had six months to go. And at that stage, I'm 20 years of age. I'm the fittest I've ever been. I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been. I'm, you know, socializing on weekends with mates. I'm, you know, going to the gym. You know, I, I felt fantastic. So physically, I probably felt in my entire life the best I've ever felt. But then I had this little lump on my testicle and it was painless. It didn't hurt. It didn't impact my life, but I knew it was there. I knew it was there. And the best way I explain it, because it's for some reason we were not bloody frozen peas are because we always seem to have them in the freezer. <laughs> um, we never actually use them, but we just seem to always have them in there. But if you picture a little frozen pea, a hard frozen pea on your testicle, and that's what it was. It was a hard frozen pea little thing sitting on my testicle. Um, and it didn't hurt, but I probably put it off for about six months plus um, looking back on it because what I would do 
and I think a lot of men can do this, is I'd go on Google and search, you know, lump on testicle, you know, asking <laughs> Google what it is. And then I'd find the most like least serious thing it would be. And it would say, oh, it's a benign cyst. It will go away on its own. Or, you know, it's this or it's that. Yes, you would say other things like cancer or whatever, but you'd kind of look at the most, the non-serious thing. And I'd go, oh, well, clearly it's just a bit of a cyst or whatever. I'll, that will disappear on its own. I'm not going to go to a doctor for that. It's a waste of time. I don't want to waste the doctor's time. So I kind of put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off, just tried to forget it was there. And it, it wasn't until June uh, 18th. And I always remember that date because it was my dad's birthday. And I remember I was sitting in my army room and I called my dad to wish him happy birthday. And then on a completely unrelated side note, I felt literally, I felt embarrassed to tell him this. I said, look, dad, this is kind of embarrassing. I don't really know who else to tell. I've got this little lump on my testicle. Um, and he was just like, oh yeah, like didn't think much of it. And he said, have you gone to the doctor? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, I'm not sure. Maybe I should. And the worst part is my doctor, my army GP was probably 50 meters from my room. And you didn't have to book an appointment. You could just rock up what they call sick parade, see the doctor. And it was just so easy. Yet even me with that level of, I guess, accessibility, I still put it off. <laughs> so like, geez, I thought, what, what hope does the average person have that doesn't have that access to the GP? Anyway, my dad said, go to the doctor. I did pull my Dax down, had a feel around. And even he said, mate, I can feel the lump. It's probably nothing. It's probably just a bloody cyst, but we'll send you off for an ultrasound. So even then you think, oh yeah, whatever. I'll go through the motions. This is all a bit embarrassing. I've just had a doctor bloody play with my nuts, but you think whatever. <laughs> and then um, got sent off. And then I get the call later that afternoon and they say, call me back in and said, mate, um, yeah, sorry to sort of say this to you. And it might become a bit of a shock, but um, that little lump, it's actually testicular cancer. And I thought, geez, that doesn't sound good. I've like what the fuck is cancer well i knew cancer was when you see in the movies people bloody dying so i thought what the hell i've never experienced cancer and he said look we've already booked you in for surgery next week you have to have your testicle removed um we're not sure how much it's spread yet we've got a ct scan you know the next couple of days so it was all this whirlwind stuff and look unfortunately me putting that little pea-sized bloody lump off for six months it did mean the cancer spread um and that was the thing i always look back on as like with that bit of that frustration to think, fuck me, if I just went to that doctor earlier, I would have avoided years of bloody treatment and pain. And because it did spread and it spread to my lymph nodes, my liver, my lung, chest area, and it just spreads upwards. And then it becomes a lot more serious. And um, that's when I had to have the surgery, you know, follow on scans, you know, the, the chemotherapy, the massive surgeries after that. And it was just a, a big two year process from me putting that, bloody lump off if i had just gone to the doctor even a few months earlier it could have been the difference but um that's kind of how my first sort of testicular cancer part one went um and then there was the part two which was a few years later when i had some other other issues going on and that was a another separate story in itself wow fair play i mean that's i mean it's mad to think, yeah, like, I mean, everyone's the same. Like, they probably have something that's going on that we just don't. What is it about us that does that? It's so annoying, isn't it? Like, we all do it. You know, you always get a little niggle and you go, ah, I'm not going to go check it out. Um, so I think, like, it was we're good on you for going. You know, eventually, if you had left it longer, you know, it could have been a different scenario. So, um, and what did that feel like when you knew that, you know, your life was going down a different path? I mean, 
did it hit you straight away or did you take your time to kind of settle in or? Well, to be honest, the hardest part was because it already spread and this, this sounds weird for probably even listening to this, but that was in about June, July. When I found out it spread, that was probably July. And um, they said, yeah, look, mate, we need to have some pretty intensive chemo. You're going to lose all your hair. You're going to be pretty crook. Um, we might need some follow-up surgeries, but I didn't actually do that for about four or five months because what it meant, I mean, I could graduate as a young officer in the Australian army that I'd spent the last four years working towards. So it meant I could still graduate at no detriment to my health. But now the, the strange part here or the, the, the challenging part here, if you can try picture this is that I almost had to forget. So I had my testicle removed. That was all fine. Recovery is pretty easy with that. But then it's kind of like, I then had to put my army hat back on almost forget that I had this cancer and I didn't even really tell anybody because I didn't want to really have, um, you know, that kind of people looking at me is that that sick cancer guy and being treated differently. You know, I'd worked so hard where I was in that, that army training that I wanted to, to graduate and finish off my own merit, not like the old sympathy card and people feeling sorry for me. But it was kind of strange because we'd do a big field exercise or you'd do PT and I still felt fine. I still felt normal. I was still fit. I was still healthy from the outside but I had cancer all through my body. And I think that was the hard part is that I'd still go out to a pub and have some drinks or, you know, I'd go to bed at night, but then as soon as I'd start thinking about it, it would keep me up. My anxiety level just through the roof. And that was hard because it's like, I imagine doing this podcast right now, listening to this podcast while you're driving your car and you know, you've got cancer all through your body, but you just have to pretend it's not there. Crack on with your next few months, graduate as a young Lieutenant in the Australian army and there's a photo of me with my sword, my twin brother. I've just graduated. And then six days later, they're like, boom, let's get straight into the chemotherapy. And brother shaved my head in hospital for about, you know, four months going through different cycles of chemo. So that was the challenging part, I think, mentally to try and navigate that. And did you, is that when you told work like the army that you had it after you got graduated? Well, no. So the army knew that like when I say that the army knew um, that I had this or what was going on and they were supportive of that. Um, but as far as my mates, um, both my army mates, and my old buddy, civilian mates, no one really knew on that, that end. So it was just the army doctors and Shani command that knew, um, and they were supportive of it, but you know, yeah, it, it was hard in the fact that you've just graduated, you're 21 at that stage. All my mates are getting posted around Australia to embark on a long military career. And then six days later, like I said, I'm in a hospital, you know, with a chemo drip in, into my arm and cracking on with chemo and, and the side effects and losing all your hair and, um, and feeling pretty crook. So I think that was the start of like the, I knew it was going to be a pretty uh, rough ride from then on. And then you obviously, I mean, you battled through that successfully and then you had the issues with a bill. So how did that, how, what was the time frame difference here? Yeah, so 21 chemo, I had a follow-up surgery and to remove my lymph nodes and um, went on from there and then had a couple of little hiccups throughout. But ultimately, it was just those little small boxes I kept ticking and then it was the three-month clear scan, six-month clear scan, you know, you're cancer-free, your 12-month clear scan and then you started to feel better and physically stronger and mentally stronger. And I got promoted to a captain in 2017 
I got posted to Brisbane in 2018. You know, life was looking normal again. And it was like, I was that proud testicular cancer survivor. You know, I, I felt proud of what I had gone through. I shared my story. That's when I started to get involved in, you know, charities such as Movember. And um, it was June 2018 where I got my five-year all-clear scan. So, you know, for those who have been impacted by cancer, either directly or indirectly, typically a lot of cancer survivors strive towards that five-year mark because essentially it means you're in complete remission and the chance of a relapse is almost non-existent. So as soon as you hit that five-year mark, I remember leaving those rooms, had the CT scan, the doctor said, mate, all looks fantastic, happy days. I don't even really need to see you again. And you go, holy shit, how good is this? And um, so that was June, 2018, where, you know, I felt I was 26 and I felt the way I explained it, I just felt kind of like free in a way. I felt like the whole routines and doctor's appointments and having to live to a schedule didn't define me anymore. And I felt like I was no longer, you know, that cancer guy. I was kind of that normal 26 year old who had been through a bit of a bit of a journey, but here I am. And, I felt free. I was happy. Um, you know, I was living a pretty good life at that stage, but then, you know, that's when like life can, you know, throw some very unexpected bloody hurdles. And only a couple months after that moment, it was August, 2018. I was 26. Uh, I started experiencing some bowel complications. Um, and when I say bowel complications, I'm talking nothing more than some inconsistent bowel movements, you know, bit of stomach cramps and I've always had a bit of like IBS and you know bit of irritable bowel but mm. nothing really serious but for me this was like I always say to people you know know your normal my normal was always a bit inconsistent but for me even this was outside of my normal um and so I'm kind of in there in the bathroom increased bowel movements and I said I remember saying to my partner this isn't right like something is not right but I can tell you right now that young 21 naive year old Hugo, um, that naive Hugo who put off that little lump on my testicle. If I hadn't gone through that whole process and I said before how frustrated I was not going to the doctor earlier, there is no way, no way in hell I would have gone off to the doctor with these bowel movements. No way in hell. I would have been a 26 year old bloke who thought I had too many beers on the weekend. I just would have put up with it. <laughs> you know, there's, there was no reason for it. But I remember saying to my partner, I want to go see my doctor. I then saw a gastroenterologist and I remember he even said, he even said, I said, look, can I have a colonoscopy? I just don't feel right. And mm. he even said, um, look, you're pretty young. You probably don't need a colonoscopy, but with your history, I get it. And we'll happily provide, we'll happily organize one for you. And so I went for a colonoscopy day procedure, camera up the bum for those who haven't had one. It's pretty simple, 15 minutes. Um, you know, you sit back after a bit dazed, you eat your little bloody biscuit or whatever you're doing. And the doctor, and, and it's, are it's you awake? Simple, yeah. You're kind of half awake, but it's, um, I remember it's, it's just such a simple procedure and the doctor just goes, um, mate, look, no, no issues. Uh, there's a couple of little nasty polyps, but we'll see you in two weeks. And at this stage, nothing sinister crossed my mind. I thought, I thought at worst, I might have some bloody you know, inflammation in my bowel and they'd give me a, you know, some medication or something. And I remember um, going to work the next day, dressed in my army uniform, typing away at my desk. And I got a call from the receptionist and she said, Hugo, 
the results came back from the biopsy. Terry, who was the gastroenterologist, uh, needs to see you. And I remember pulling my phone out and said, yep, I'm booked in to see him in two weeks. So we're still on for that appointment. And she said, no, no, he needs to see you this afternoon. Oh, and I thought, fuck, like, yes. yeah, you know, specialists are hard people to get into at the best of times. And here's a specialist who's literally requesting to see you that afternoon. And that's when we've all had it, that yeah. sinking feeling in your stomach where you just know something's not quite right. That's where I just thought this, fuck, like my stomach literally just like turned inside. And I um, went to the appointment with my partner. She had just finished work. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, still in my army uniform and just feeling sick. You know, where you just feel like just crook. And I was just like trying to read a magazine and pretend that it was fine. But as soon as he pulled me in into his rooms and you could just see his face and I'm like, oh shit. And um, yeah, that's when he just turned the computer screen around and he tried to explain it with the most simplistic way he could. But he more or less just turned out and said, um, Hugo, I'm sorry to say, but that uh, those polyps, um, unfortunately, you've got bowel cancer. And um, look, we, we got to act quick. Um, it's a pretty serious cancer to get. And that's when I'm sitting there at 26, three months after I'd just been given my five-year clear scan for testicular cancer. It was an entirely new cancer. It wasn't like a relapse from the testicular. It's a whole new cancer. That's when I, um, that's when it kind of hit me. That's when I sat there and I knew I was in for a pretty rough ride. And that was kind of probably the, the, the main start of my mental health uh, challenges as well. And from then on, it was a difficult time. And from that moment that you said you felt that, you know, something wasn't right to so you going and, and seeing someone, what time are we talking about there? Is that a number of days or weeks? So it was about two weeks. Um, it was about two weeks. And that's actually the medical advice that, that I've been given. Um, and so I, I, I can confidently pass that on. They say, when I say to learn your normal, if you're feeling anything that's not your normal for more than two weeks. So what they mean by that is if it's a couple of days of a bit of a stump, an upset stomach, well, typically that could be a whole range of different things. You could have had some bloody, you know, a bad prawn, who the hell knows. But if it's, um, if it's more than two weeks, that's when you should go off and just book an appointment with your GP. So whether that's a nasty looking rash on your arm that doesn't go away for two weeks, whether it's your bowels playing up uh, for more than two weeks, whether it's prolonged headaches for two weeks, whatever that might be, that's generally a pretty good indication to go off and see a doctor. So for me, bowels are playing up, not right. Two weeks or so had passed. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to book in to see my doctor. And the most powerful part of the entire story in my entire, this whole probably podcast episode was when the doctor said to me, look, mate, the only silver lining, he said, the only silver lining is that testicular cancer essentially saved your life. And what he means by that is because, as I just briefly touched on, there is no way as a young 26-year-old male, I would have rushed off to a doctor with some, you know, inconsistent bowel movements and a, my bowel playing up if it wasn't for me going through that whole testicular cancer you know, the importance of going to a doctor, putting off that little lump of my testicle. So I look back at that and he, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here today in a way because of my testicular cancer. If I didn't ever had testicular cancer, I just had bowel cancer. There's every chance I would have caught it late and mm. bowel cancer, the second biggest cancer killer behind lung cancer, you know, we're having a different conversation or I'm, you know, I dare say I'm not even here today. So 
that's the only silver lining in my entire story. And it's why I'm so passionate about early detection because it quite literally saved my life. And whether we talk about early detection or prevention for cancer or mental illness, um, it can quite literally save thousands of lives. So yeah, I'm uh, pretty grateful for that. It's, it's uh, eye-opening, but it's a bit scary as well. You think about it, man. Yeah, I just, all I do is well done, like, for <laughs> for following up so quickly on that one. Like, I mean, yeah, you, like, saved your life, and, you know, you should be very proud of that. Um, no, thanks. And I, actually, I probably should just say, though, like, for the X amount of people listening to this right now, it's it's not designed to scare people because it still is very unlikely that someone my age is going to say get couple bouts of cancer go through that go through so I, I do say that as a bit as a caveat like don't hear this and you think oh shit I've had some bloody diarrhea the last few days I've got bowel cancer because it's very unlikely that you will but all I want for people to do and men listening to this especially is just put them in that mindset just yeah. put them in the mindset to go okay I'm not invincible I'm not bulletproof my health can be pretty fragile here's this random guy who's gone through to the extreme of it but hey if a few things are going wrong or hey when was it last I had an annual checkup with my GP? Oh, shit, it's been bloody six years. Maybe that's a good start to just even just book in to see my GP. They're just the conversations I like having, not to necessarily scare people that they're going to, you know, all have cancer. So well, I think that is, That's one of the things I always joke about. My, my dad always says when he goes to the doctor, he says in the UK, if you get a car check, it's called an MOT, like someone get a service, et cetera, here. And he, my dad always just says, I'm going for my, my MOT with the doctor. Basically, and I'm like, that's such a simple way of looking at it. Because when you've got a car, you go and check it, check the service, you'll get a the mechanic will have a look over, make sure it's good. Because God forbid you can't get to work tomorrow. Yeah, but sure. why check your health? I mean, what's the point in that? It's just like it's insane to think how infrequently you just go for a what's the point going to doctors? I want to go yeah. to doctors with me. Like I have an even crazier up. story. So Sue, my wife, her grandfather, he he died, you know, but he was he was elderly, but he fell over in his house. She told me this is a mad story. He fell over and was on the ground and he didn't want to, his, his thing was he didn't want to upset like the hospitals by, by making a fuss about him falling over. So he laid on the ground, I think for almost 24 hours before he actually called someone. And then he went to hospital and because he'd left it so long, there was, like he eventually passed away. And that was just his pride for not trying to disturb like the hospital that he didn't want to call. And, you know, it's just kind of, why do we do these type of things? I had a, I had a, a cyst on my back for uh, when I first came to Australia for nine years. And then I was eventually like, I'm just going to go and get this checked out. I went down to Bondi doctors, absolute legend of a doctor. He was like, yeah, it's a benign cyst. Uh, I went back the next day. He cut it out in half an hour and it was gone. And I was carrying that, like, you know, that was on my back for nine years. And I just didn't get around to checking that out, like, so it's just mental why we don't do these things and we just think ah, i'll be fine you know it was like even when i was younger you know going out you were just saying gary where you were single and then you know you should probably get the old sti checks and you'd always put it off for years <laughs> and then you'd go and get it and then you'd be waiting on that call and then you get the call and then you'd go out on the piss that night almost like to celebrate it you'd be like fuck but you're right it's almost it's just i think it's that sense of embarrassment a mix of the embarrassment slash almost like the what people still deem as like bragging of, you know, oh, I haven't seen a doctor in 20 years or, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm fine. And I think we talk about in our pre-chat about Aussies. I think Aussies can also be 
bad for that as well. The whole like she'll be right, like the old Aussie farmer who bloody you know cracks on. They've always been taught to to sort their own shit out, not talk about their feelings and bloody you know seek help. And I think there there lies a big fundamental issue. But I probably the thing that I'm most passionate about at the moment and something I'm really trying to push is yeah the awareness side of course you know raising the awareness get blokes to fill their nuts around November time you know mental health stuff you know all important absolutely awareness but probably the number one thing that's at the top at the moment for me is that whole encouraging young men to build a relationship with their GP and to have annual checkups and you touched on it beautifully Gary about the car service getting in that mindset of having annual checkups even if you feel healthy fit you know perfectly fine getting the mindset to have annual checkups because there's two reasons for it one you might discover something out of nowhere and guess what well now you're in that most early possible stage you can or the second part is if you have that mindset and you have those annual checkups if you build that good habit then later on in life if something does ever pop up and you do have that weird looking mole or you know something's not quite right you feel so confident in your ability to quickly go off and book, book an appointment to your GP and it's not going to be foreign to you. So I think um, that's going to come a long way in saving lives. I think GPs especially underestimated. People don't realise that you can see a GP for mental health plans. They can be the gateway to seeing, you know, mental health professional support. They can do a whole range of things with your GP. But like uh, Neil just touched on, the brilliant doctor at Bondi, I also appreciate that not all GPs are the same. And I think it's finding a GP right for you. And I'm doing a lot in the space at the moment to try and make more men friendly and male friendly GP practices and GPs who specifically, you know, can support men and make men feel comfortable and putting the foot in the door. Because I still think you go to a GP clinic, majority, you've got women's weekly, boom, right in the bloody magazine. You've got pregnancy posters. You've got, it's, it's, it's not very, comfortable for men and i've been the amount of times i've been to a doctor sitting in my army uniform which is typically quite a masculine blokey type profession i do feel uncomfortable i'm kind of sitting there and there's yeah women's magazines and the women all around and the women posters and it's, it doesn't feel like it's comfortable or inviting for males and i think there lies an issue in itself but that's my kind of key um mm. key thing i'm pushing at the moment for men is even if you're listening to this and there's one person listening to this I want you to ask that rhetorical question of when did you last see your GP? And if you are thinking that right now and you can't even remember when you saw your GP last, use this as a prompter, use the month of November, whatever it might be, but use this as a prompt to go find a GP, book in for an annual checkup, and I can guarantee it you'll leave that GP appointment feeling fantastic. Mm. You'll be like, how fucking good's that? I've just had a big annual checkup. Like you said, Gary, like a, You've just serviced your car. Like, how, how good's that? Big tick in the box. So anyway. You made, you made one of the really, really, really important point there as well that it's like anything in life. You're going to get a bad one every now and again, but don't let that deter you. We had Mary Huang who has her own psychology practice and they have, they're really amazing in terms of you can actually pick who you want to see and they tell you all about the practitioners so you can get an insight into them. And then even if they still don't work, you can always just swap them and get a new one which is fantastic, but you are going to get bad GPs, as you say, don't let that deter you. Just try another one, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's um, one of the things I'm working at the moment with uh, 25 Stay Alive, which is kind of my 
my sort of um, social enterprise slash communities. I'm uh, I'm actually got an appointment later this afternoon, meet online meeting this afternoon with community GPs and finding GPs. We're going to sample it in Adelaide first, but finding GPs who are going to sort of collaborate with me and supportive of what I'm trying to do. And I'm actually developing with these GPs a five-point checklist for men to take to their GP, which is very simplistic. It's not meant to be daunting because I often get the whole, it's all good and well to book into a GP, but like, what do I ask for? And sometimes, like you said, some GPs can be better than others. So if we've got a partnership or a collaboration with a group of GPs who are supportive, uh, we've got a little checklist for men to take there. How good is that? A man can just go like he would to a car service, get their GP, tick off the little checklist and happy days. How's the wheels? What's the steering like? Yeah, it's all right. Exactly. So yeah. I, I think it's, yeah. that's one area I think we just need to continually improve on. We There are so many of these amazing initiatives and charities and non-for-profits in the men's health space, which is fantastic. And I think there are so many great initiatives in generating conversations and and support networks. But a lot is also the crisis, the pointy end, which is important. But I think if we focus more on the prevention of thousands as opposed to the crisis of hundreds, mm. we're not going to get to the crisis mode in the large part. So I think if we can focus more on that, and I think large part by having annual checkups at the GP, even when you feel completely healthy and fine, um, you know that might might uh, might help solve that. Yeah, because it can't be you a. <laughs> Oh, you go. Sorry, sorry. No, I was going to just finish that up because one of the questions we had was around cost. We were like, is that a prohibitive factor to people going out? But I think you've already answered that. But And it couldn't be, right? Because here in Australia, you can literally bulk bill. You can walk in off the street and see a doctor without even an appointment. I went up to Bondi's seven-day center yesterday, met someone within 10 minutes. And so, you know, cost surely isn't a factor, is it? I mean, you pay fifteen dollars for a pint in Sydney. You can, you can, <laughs> you can go. To, you can go to the doctor. Me, I, I can't go to the doctor this week. I need to buy a round for the boys. I mean, <laughs> like you can get, go to the doctors. It's absolutely so free. Things, even it's with that, free for, for me and uh, I know, but not, not, but some situations aren't free. So a big thing, obviously, for me is that I think nutrition's huge. So um, obviously, it is huge. But I'm a big advocate. People just saying, just go and see a proper dietitian, even just once. You can get knowledge. It will last you for the rest of your life. Literally figure out what's good for you and for the rest of your life. And I was like, every time I bring it up, like, ah, it's expensive though. I'm like, f- like you're going to spend probably 25 hours on Google and on Instagram accounts giving you a lot of shit and then trying something, not trying it. And then but for all you know, you've got all these little issues coming up in your body or whether it be even just from a, um, a, an aesthetic standpoint, that's affecting your mental health. It's affecting how you feel, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, it's a hundred bucks. Like you go and pay a hundred bucks on and the puggies, like something stupid. And, 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 go, and to go back to your um your car analogy, Gary, and I love that when people talk about the money, but I guarantee those same blokes who talk about the money, if they've got a, a bike or a car or, you know, having the little service or tune-ups like you talk about, they're not mechanics, right? So they're not going to all of a sudden start to just service the car themselves because they know what they're going to do. They'll take it to a mechanic and they'll pay the 400 bucks, whatever it is. It's just what you do. You know, it, it's just what you do. But... When it comes to their own health and their own bodies, I think men think they can just do it themselves. So they think, I don't need a nutritionist to tell me what to do or a, a doctor, you know, no different to try and servicing your car. If you have, you're not a mechanic, they try and service their own body and there lies um, a few of the issues. But the other thing I always get with psychologists, people go, oh, psychologists are so expensive. Um, 
But at the same time, we talk about seeing those GPs and part of this checklist I'm talking about is a, is a, is a mental health plan. But people don't even realise that a GP can provide a referral to see a psychologist um, for up to six sessions. So there are six sessions which can be rebated and then you can then have another force on top of that if you if you require it. So straight away, there are 10 sessions, 10 sessions you can have annually as a starting point, which are covered by Medicare, which are free and you can get them through your GP. So if you go see your GP and you're, you know what, I've really been struggling and I've had a lot going on. I've recently lost my job and I've done this and I've done that. They can provide six sessions, then you can get reviewed and get another four. So straight away, you're getting into that mindset. You're looking after your mental health. You're having those conversations and it's not going to be costing you two, $300 a session at the start. So there are things that people might not even be aware of, but I think it's important that we get out of that concept and that, that mindset of it all costs money. I can't afford it. But like you said, you'll go to the pub and spend 15 bucks on a beer without even blinking. So um, yeah, and, get, get out of that mindset. And also, if you do have private health, like even, even if you want to go more frequently than those 10 sessions, as you said, Hugo, you can always use your private health, which I have psychology on my private health. And I, you get up to close to 50% back. Um, so you can still get reduced rates in between others if you feel like you need to do them more frequently. So yeah, there are other things you can do to support that and what about your so let's say fast forward to 2021 now are you, you're in remission again like how's your mental health right now today yeah look it is good so I'm, I'm in remission I've so I suppose the back end of that whole cancer um cancer story I um last year had hopefully my final abdominal surgery so essentially what happened is it got to the stage where they said, look, that the cancer is going to spread. Um, we've tried everything we can, but unfortunately we have to remove your bowel. And um, that was a difficult decision to, to, I guess, take on board because now for the rest of my life, I'm going to have issues. Um, you know, I go to the toilet probably 10 to 12 times a day. Last night I was up probably four times throughout the night going to the bathroom. It's not ideal. Um, it definitely isn't ideal. It has its own issues. Um, and that's purely because I don't have a large bowel, you know, or a rectum. Um, so basically all I've got is a bit of my small bowel left, which they've stretched down and they've created like a J shape. So it's called a J pouch and they staple it on itself. And the bottom of that small bowel, they stitch it onto your anus. And that part of my small bowel acts as my small bowel, large bowel, rectum all in one. So it's the size of like a fist as opposed to some people have six meters of bowel. So there's naturally going to have... Um, complications but i look at it also as being pretty remarkable that human body can still do that mm. and i can still live a pretty normal life so i did have a stoma which is an external bag for about a year um and look once again that had its issues but i got pretty used to that that's you literally go to the bathroom through your small bowel sticking out of your stomach and you have to do bag changes every day and but i got pretty used to that but then they gave me the option to say look we can create an internal pouch if you want it and i thought well let's give it a crack so um after a couple of years of surgeries and emergency procedures and being pretty crooked for a while, as you can imagine, um, I eventually kind of got through it all. And, you know, as I sit here today, I am cancer free. There's always going to be a very small chance of a, of a relapse, but because I physically don't have a large bowel rectum, the chance of a relapse for bowel cancer is very, very, very small. Um, it can technically relapse my small bowel, but that's almost non-existent. So I think in a way, 
I don't necessarily live with that anxiety that I would have lived with if I didn't have that massive surgery. And I would have literally had to have three monthly, six monthly colonoscopies knowing that one day the cancer will probably come back. So I think I removed that level of anxiety, which I'm, I'm content and happy with the decision I made. That being said, naturally with all my other health stuff that I have to experience every day, that does impact my mental health. Um, I do have some days where I, I do let it get to me a bit and I do get pretty frustrated. Um, but that's where I just have come better at managing my mental health. And Gary talked about how you're pretty good at having your own tools that you've learned that really help for you. And I think that's the biggest one over the years. It's finding what helped me. And I'd try all these different other things, which people would kind of recommend that might not have worked. But then as soon as I found some stuff that worked for me, I thought, oh, yep, you know, that that's really helpful. So I've got a psychologist appointment at one o'clock this afternoon with Luke. Telehealth appointment. I probably speak to Luke every three to four weeks. And, um, you know, although I'm in a pretty good place, I also know that I have to keep consistent with it, which you can probably relate to, Neil, if you're, mm. if you're still seeing a psychologist, is mm-hmm. keeping consistent with it and knowing that it can take time and you're going to have some days where you feel like you've just lost all your progress and you're thinking, fuck me, I'm having a really bad day. Mm. But then for me, I know that the better days are definitely coming and those bad days don't last as long and they're not as often. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty good way, both mentally and physically, albeit like everyone you're still going to have your challenges yeah but the psychologist that i saw the first time well after a few sessions i was like so you know how long do you reckon i'll be here before i'm like cured that's how my practical brain was he goes mate you could be here for years (laughs) (laughs) you're spot on there's the there's the that that mentality of men especially where it's it's always that quick fix i want it now you know let's do it and you unfortunately you're not going to see you're not going to have two, three appointments and just be, you know, like yeah. you said, cured. It, it can be an ongoing bloody process. That's yeah. pretty much me. That's everything. Even in, um, in my space, like football season's coming up pre-season. Like, oh, I've not been training the last six months due to lockdown. How long do you think this will take me to get fit? It's like, mate, we've well, not trained in six months. Like, you can't just go in, go go Tonto, and then in two weeks, that's you fit as a fiddle. Like, it's like, you need to take time, mate. That's just what it's going to be. Ah, nah. Don't worry, even, I'll get you know, a like, day challenge. And they're like, all right, okay, do a 20 day challenge, mate, and I'll see you in eight weeks at the physio. Yeah, you know, in America, they have like the seven second abs, then it was the six second abs, then it was the <laughs> five second abs. <laughs> we all want the quick fix, right? We all want the short, the shortest way to achieve something. And I think, um, yeah, when it comes to your mental health, and especially if you have vulnerable mental health or poor mental health, um, you don't want to cut corners with it. I think that's the biggest one. You, you got to just you just got to trust the process. You got to trust the process. And I think as soon as you trust the process and you can start seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, you can start to see improvement. That's when you can start to go, okay, it, it actually does work, uh, but you just got to give it time. What about you? Sorry, do I did a quick fire questions with Hugo? Yeah, sure. Um, so Hugo, we ask all the guests kind of like the same four questions. So the idea is like we have an imaginary clock and then, you know, you just try and, you know, spit them out as quickly as you can. So here we go. So when are you at your happiest? So for me, it would be, I've probably even heard a couple of dogs barking throughout this podcast, but I'd be taking my dogs for a walk to Queens Park um, and just throwing the ball, playing with my dogs. And typically I'll leave my phone at home and it's just kind of having that little half an hour to an hour every morning, that same routine, being with my dogs out in the open. Cool. Oh, brilliant. And in terms of, 
the world, where do you think we are out of 10 in terms of mental health awareness right now? For men or in general? Oh, for the world, so like as a general society. Look, I think, um, I think we're, we're coming a long way. Um, still a long way to go. I'll probably say a bit of a, maybe a, a six and a half, seven out of 10 range. I think um, we're doing a lot of things well. We are doing a lot of things well. Um, and I think it has changed a lot, but I still think we've got to continue with the momentum and there's still a bit to go. Awesome. And then in your own personal story, where are you at a 10 with your own mental health right now? Look, I think right now um, I'm probably at about an eight, um, which for me is pretty bloody good. Um, I think it's be pretty hard to ever be at a 10. I think if you're at a 10, that'd be pretty difficult. But for me, I'm at an eight, which I think is quite good. Um, and I'd like to just push, hover around the nine, which would be nice. A little bit, little bit of a way to go. Awesome. And if you could recommend one thing for people to do each day to improve their mental health, what would that be? I think one thing would be to lower your expectations and have small achievable goals each day. And that could be something as small as, you know, making your warm bloody lemon water, having a little cup of tea, cup of coffee, um, you know, sitting on your little balcony for 10 minutes each morning, but just have very small achievable goals in the morning. So I'm not saying, you know, necessarily run 10 kilometers because the power of ticking off little checklists or little goals in the morning for your mental health, it's almost like these, you know, endorphins that kind of go off when you just feel like you've already accomplished something. So it's each morning, have a couple achievable goals you can set yourself that you can do that you know you can do. So it's not like, because if you, if you can't do it, then you'll start to beat yourself up and you'll say, fuck, I didn't go for my 5K run this morning. And then that would be actually counterproductive to your mental health. So it's finding a couple of things you know you can do that's achievable, but you're still setting yourself some good habits, a bit of routine, and that's bloody good for your mental health. Great. That's brilliant. And can you tell us maybe just to finish off, Gary, what you reckon? Like, just, I know you're, You've got a podcast, you've got 25 staying alive. Like what's happening with Hugo right now? Yeah, look, so I, um, look, months of November, I'm not sure when this will actually get released, but um, November is a big part of what I do uh, in the men's health space. I do a podcast for November called Behind the Uniform. And basically it's just getting behind, you know, the, the facade of a mask, a uniform, whatever that might be, and just talk openly and honestly about, you know, how you're feeling. So much of what you guys are doing, a uh, bit of a hobby, bit of a side project, but my kind of big passions outside of the army being my full-time job is um, 25 Stay Alive. And that is at the moment where I'm really trying to work hard in collaborating with GPs and getting young men especially to build that relationship with their GPs, having their annual checkups. And that's a big goal at the moment. That's uh, hopefully sort of long-term, the idea is that when you turn 25, no different than when you turn 50 and you get your bowel cancer screening kits and your mammograms and all this shit when you turn 50 and everyone thinks, you know, that's where I'm going to take my health seriously. When you turn 25, you get a um, letter from Medicare. We'll cover your initial consultation with your GP. It will have a list of local GPs in your area based off postcode. So you can kind of pick the GP that's right for you. You have your little checklist that you can take to your GP and then boom, your big tick in the box. That's kind of initial discussions with Medicare at the moment that I'm going to try and hopefully get off, um, get out there. But uh, anyway, that's long-term goals, but uh, that's what I'm up to at the moment. That should help me. Wow, that would be unreal if you did that. Imagine. 
and that's proper impact. It'll be brilliant. Um, yeah, mate, cool. So where can people find you, mate? Obviously, you've got Instagram, you've got your website. Anything? Yeah, look, honestly, probably Instagram. Now, Hugo Tuvi. Um, you know, I'm uh, pretty bloody, uh, I guess, open in terms of chatting to people. I'll never not chat to someone as if someone takes the time to, to share their story and, you know, open up to me. I think the least that I can do or we as a society can do is get, is get back to these people and just talk to them because I'm a big one for, for connection. Um, so yeah, Instagram is probably the best one. Uh, and yeah, if, if you want to reach out and just have a bit of a yarn, uh, feel free. And you're, you're based in Sydney, aren't you? You mentioned Queens Park, so you're probably in between Gary and I. Um, Sydney is your home, your base? Yeah, look, Sydney at the moment for work, and I'll probably be here for the next at least three years. So happy in Sydney, um, especially when we can actually explore and go out and about and <laughs> catch up with people again, a bit of the no normal life. So uh, Queens Park or Rose Bay Dog Beach, they're my two, uh, two little spots. I kind of either on the stand-up paddleboard or on, in the water with the dogs. I, I love, yeah, I love that. I think there's nothing better for your mental health as well. So maybe one day we can, um, if you guys like dogs or, you like just going for a walk, a yarn, and a coffee? We'll uh, we'll have to catch up. I oh, definitely. I love dogs. Big dog fan. <laughs> Do you like dogs? Do you like, like dogs? Got it. <laughs> or even the Charing Cross. Is that your local pub near you there? Yeah. No, we um we have been back since uh, a couple of times since lockdown. I do like the Charing Cross. I've, they do a really good Sunday roast. If you yes. like a roast, and yeah. there seems to be a lot of um. Lots of, um, you know, blokes from Irish the UK or Ireland and they have their beers and their roast and, you know, it's live music and it's a bit of fun. So maybe we can even catch you there one day for a bloody pint of beer. <laughs> it actually, it goes off there. I went there, I did the Sunday roast one time. There then this go. guy got on a piano and I was like, what the hell's going on here? And he was doing Elton John numbers. And I, here was I eating a Yorkshire pudding going, this is mad. <laughs> yeah, it goes off. It goes off. It's a, it's a good spot and it's good seeing everyone out and about again just having a good time and um, having a bit of freedom. Yeah. And maybe just to close off as well, I know you've already mentioned it, but one of our questions was if you did have any advice to anybody listening as a, maybe a final message, what would that be? Look, I'm just going to reinforce it because I think um, reinforcing messages can be quite good. Um, the biggest one would be um, is if you're listening to this right now, regardless of how you feel, obviously, if you are having a few issues, whether mentally, physically, or whatever, that's self-explanatory, please go seek the, the professional medical support you need. But I'm just talking about if you're the, the your average guy listening to this and asking yourself the question, when was it last I saw my GP? And you just got to be honest with yourself and then don't find excuses. Like we keep talking about money or you're too busy or whatever pick up your phone, find a GP close to you and just book in to see your GP because all you're doing is you're putting the foot in the door, you're starting the conversations and you're setting yourself up for success either now or later on in life. So I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. I'd love guys or girls listening to this podcast is to just initiate that conversation, reach out to a GP and start having those annual checkups. Brilliant. Well, well said. I mean, thanks very much for your time. And mate, again, great to you, mate. Absolute legend, very inspirational. And uh, thanks for sharing your story, mate. Absolutely quality. And I'm definitely going to book an appointment with my GP in the next couple of weeks, mate. No, I love it. Love it. you gotta, you got to start somewhere. And it's easy to come up with excuses. I've, I've been there. I've done that. And you got it's approaching the end of the year and the Christmas parties and this and that and the other. But I find if you just book it in and it's in your diary, it's in your calendar, 
you'll find that the bloody process is pretty easy. It's not that daunting. It's not that complicated. I've only got a checklist, mate. Sorry? I wish I had a checklist to go in with. I know. Well, I'm still <laughs> developing it. But even just going in and saying, look, haven't seen a GP for a couple of years. I'd love an annual checkup. Yeah. You know, good GPs will typically ask the questions on how you're going, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, that, that's the important stuff, and, but love, and, love, ch- sorry. Neil. I was going to say, and do that and do that rather than Googling it because yeah. I just had a son. I've been Googling things. Why is his legs crossed? And it tells you all kinds of things. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Seems like stop. I agree. Google can be, yeah. Look, the digital age, it can be pretty powerful, you know, connecting to people online. And I think that can be really important, but spot on like don't google things and take google for an answer because um you know nothing's better than that human interaction especially with it with a professional and your gp so uh mm-hmm. yeah no love love chatting to you neil gary it's been a pleasure um yeah look, looking forward to maybe one day catching up for a yorkshire putting at the charing cross or a uh, or a walk along the queen's park with a couple of dogs but uh sounds good awesome well, mate. thanks very much mate, for your time cheers thanks hugo see you cheers, mate Jance. cheers okay, bye, bye. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media channels, including Instagram and Twitter, at These Lands Are Mental. And if you do have a topic or a guest or subject that you want us to talk about, please do get in touch and send in your suggestions. Thanks for joining us on today's show. As mentioned at the beginning, if you are struggling with mental health, please do seek further assistance. Here's who you can get support from. Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Fitzier, and the Black Dog Institute.